Good morning, church. Let's try this again. My name is Jeff Brookshire, and I am one of the teaching elders here at Crossroads. And uh, Jill and I, my wife, have had an excellent weekend. On Friday night, we went to a Christian ballet, something that we don't normally do. We're not people who usually go to the ballet necessarily, but because we heard that one of our youth here at church, Giselle Traverso, and uh, her sister, is she here too? Scarlett? There she is, um, hiding. Uh, that they were performing in this Christian ballet. And what they did was they did the Nutcracker first, and then they did this gospel presentation. It was incredible. But um, we only got to see Yazelle because Scarlett was yesterday, and we went Friday night. But Yazelle did, did us proud, church. She did us proud. She danced absolutely beautifully. In fact, would you stand up, Yazelle? I know you don't like doing that. Scarlett, stand up on the seat. Thank you. They danced beautifully. And as I was thinking about this, as I was watching this whole production of people, you know, jumping and, and hopping and twirling, and, and we had good seats so we could hear the, the toes cracking and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff, as they were doing that, I realized how much of a sacrifice that they had put in to please the hundreds of people who were in that crowd that they had put in a lot of time and sacrifice, not only to learn the dances, but then to practice them over and over and over again, making sure they got the right spacing and made every, make sure that they were twirling when they were supposed to twirl and hop when they were supposed to hop and, and all of those kinds. I'm sure they don't call it hopping in ballet, but doing all those things in ballet, it made it such a beautiful performance because of the sacrifice that they put into it. Sacrificing always leads to a prize. Yesterday, uh, Jill and I drove up to Sky Valley, Georgia. Um, we enjoyed the beautiful uh, changing of the leaves as we were driving up there. But the reason we went up there was because we wanted to go to a 50K race. 50K, right? Now, 50K is five miles longer than a marathon. So it's like running a marathon and then going, boy, I didn't get enough of that. Let's ride, run five miles more, right? Now, here's the thing. It's not like the Boston Marathon where things are flat. Sky Valley is mountainous. They ran up Rabin Bald Mountain, which is the second largest, highest mountain in Georgia, ran back down again, turned around, went back up the mountain, and came back down again. 31 miles. The reason we went was not because we usually go to races to watch runners, was because Jeff Van Willigan, uh, who's sitting right here, um, he, um, he made it his goal uh, several months ago to run this race. And it took a lot of sacrifice. He, he had to give up foods that he wanted to eat but couldn't eat because he wanted to be in shape for this race. He ran and ran and ran. He gave up sacrifice of time with the family, right? And he um, read magazines, as I understand, to know how to run a race that long. And when we got there and we were sitting there and watching him come down the hill 
and turned the corner to make that last stretch. And his boys were out there, and they were cheering him on. And they, did they run all the way back with you to the finish line? The last part, and uh, they didn't run the whole 50K, no. And <laughs> that is good. And um, seeing, uh, you know, the signs that were being held out about how proud he proud the family was of him and, and, and just cheering him on. I was just proud to be his friend. I was proud to be associated with somebody who made those sacrifices because sacrifices always lead to a prize. We admire sacrifices when we see them, don't we? We admire sacrifices of athletes who will sacrifice their body to, for our favorite team. Now, I don't know if either of those are your favorite team. I hope the one uh, that's standing up in the white isn't your favorite team. Um, but um, there's Julio Jones making a play for the Atlanta Falcons. He's sacrificing his body for the play. We admire that when team members from our team do that. We admire sacrifices of grandmothers and grandfathers, fathers and mothers and foster parents who sacrifice long hours of work so that they could provide for their family. We admire that sacrifice. We admire the sacrifice of givers. Rich and poor, it's not just rich people who are givers. Some of the best givers I've ever seen are poor people who give out of their lack of things to other people who are in need. We admire that. We admire seeing people who give to others in need. We admire sacrifices. We admire sacrifices of those who volunteer to be able to serve the needs of other people. I was thinking about this this morning. It just came to me that really we see sacrifice every week right up here on the platform because the band doesn't just show up at 9.15 in the morning and say, hmm, what songs are we going to sing today? Who's going to play the guitar? Anybody want to play the drums? No, they don't do that. They sacrifice. They sacrifice hours practicing at home. Then they come on Wednesday nights and sacrifice time there where sometimes that goes late, or at least my wife comes home late. I don't know if she's talking or practicing, but she comes home late. And then um, Sunday mornings, they get here at 8 o'clock, which... which kind of makes me laugh sometimes because I'll be standing out here at, at 9.15 and people will be coming in and going, man, it is too early for church. And I'm thinking, there's been people here since 8 o'clock who have been practicing making sure that everything was ready not to perform for us. They're not here to perform for us. They're here to serve us so that we can lift up our praise and our worship to God. We admire sacrifices. We admire the sacrifices of first responders like Ryan Berry in our church who run towards the trouble while others are running away from it. We admire sacrifices. We admire the sacrifices of those who are in the military who sacrifice their security and their safety so that we can be secure and safe here today. In fact, tomorrow is Veterans Day, so if if you are a veteran or have a family member who is in the military, would you please stand so that we can honor you? Awesome. Awesome. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. I know that we have two right now who are active in the military. There may be more. I just know of two. Um, one is David Galloway, and the other is Jose Sanchez, who's over in Kuwait. And so we pray for their safety and for their security as they provide the safety and security that we have here in the United States of America. We admire sacrifices when we see them, but if we were really honest with each other, we'd probably have to say that we hope that we never have to make a sacrifice. We don't like making sacrifices. We don't want to make sacrifices. Because sacrifices means giving up something that is valuable to you. But the truth of the matter is, is that whenever you sacrifice, whether in this life or the next, you will receive a prize. If you read the Bible, if you're, if you're used to reading the Bible, you know that the theme of sacrifice is woven through the pages of the Bible. In the first two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, sacrifice is there. It said that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament that God gave to the Jews. 613 commandments, and a hundred of those have to do with giving of sacrifices, of offering burnt sacrifices of bulls and sheep and goats and, and doves and pigeons and wine and bread and grain. There's all sorts of sacrifices that are listed there. Now, if you've ever tried to read the Bible from beginning to end, starting in Genesis chapter 1, and then you're going to read all the way to Revelation chapter 22, you know that Genesis is pretty exciting. You know that Exodus is pretty exciting. And then you get to the third book, Leviticus. Ooh. Not so exciting. Now, I'm not saying it is that God breathed and there aren't things to learn from it because that's what we're going to do in this series. But it is not the most exciting reading in the world. I reread it this week. And it is chock full of laws. It's chock full of procedures about how to do sacrifices and about how to celebrate their appointed festivals. It's chock full of all of that, that kind of stuff. If you want to read something that's exciting, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's exciting. Leviticus, not so much, right? But in those sacrifices, in that book, there's some incredible lessons that God is teaching us. Because when God required the Jews to offer sacrifices, it wasn't because God particularly liked to smell burning flesh. God doesn't need that. God is God. God is this huge God that has, owns everything in the universe. He didn't necessarily need to smell burning flesh. So it wasn't about what God was getting. It was what the offerer was getting when they were offering their sacrifices. In this new series called Sacrifices, that's what we're going to be looking at, are the lessons that God was teaching the offerers when they offered their sacrifices. Now, hundreds of, or many years before uh, Moses gave the commandments of sacrifices to the Israelites that God had given through him, 
there was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was commanded by God uh, to offer sacrifices. He was commanded to offer one of the sacrifices called the burnt offering. Now, I'm going to make this easy for you. There are five basic sacrifices commanded by God. The first sacrifice is the grain offering. And the grain offering is simply a gift to God. And what you would do is, is you would bring to the priest um, some flour or some roasted grain, or you would bring um, a fat loaf that was mixed with olive oil to bake it, and then it was made without yeast, or a thin loaf that was brushed with olive oil that um, was also made without yeast. Then the priest would take that flour or take that grain or take those pieces of bread and just a handful and would throw them on to the burning altar. The burning altar was set up in a square that had a grate in it. The fire was underneath and they would throw it on there and it was outside of what was known as the tent of the meeting. They did not have a church like what a building like what we have today. They had in Moses' day uh, a tent a tent of the meeting. It had inside the Ark of the Covenant, which had inside of it the Ten Commandments, the stones that God had written with his finger on those stones. So they would take that grain, they would take that bread, a handful of it, they would throw it onto the fire, and then they would keep, the priests would keep a portion of it to help provide for their families and for the other priest families. That's the grain offering. The second one is the fellowship offering. The best way that I can describe the fellowship offering, it's like having a family meal with God. That they would bring an animal, that animal would then be gutted, it would have uh, its um, uh, kidneys and the fat around the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver placed upon that grate on the burning altar and then the rest of the sheep, for example, would be split in two. Half of it would be given to the priests to provide for their families. And the other half of the, the animal would be given to the offerer. So the offerer brings a gift, and then part of it, half of it, is given back to them. Why? So they could roast it and eat it in front of the tent of the meeting as a fellowship meal with God. Like having your table set up for Thanksgiving and leaving one chair open for God. That's what it was like. That's what the fellowship offering was. The third one is the sin offering or purification offering. Now the sin offering was offered because quite frankly, sin separates us from God. Sin distances us from God. And so God gave them a way for him to bridge that gap. So they would bring an animal or some other kind of sacrifice so that they could ask for forgiveness for their sins. Now, what I love about the sin offering is that what you brought was dependent upon your means. I love how God set this up. If you were rich, you brought a bull. If you were middle class, you bought a sheep or a goat. If you were poor, you brought uh, doves or pigeons. And if you were very poor, you just brought flour, just basic flour as an offering 
to God. And then the priest would take that, would sacrifice that, and keep a portion of it to help provide for his family and for the other priest's family. The guilt offering, the guilt offering is an offering that was um, very similar to the sin offering. It just was for specific sins that God commanded in the Bible. And then last but not least is the burnt offering. In all of the other offerings, as I mentioned, some of that offering was given either to the priest or back to the offerer, right? But not the burnt offering. The burnt offering was completely sacrificed to God. It was completely burned either on the uh, burnt offering outside of the tent of meeting or uh, a portion of it was also built or burnt outside of the uh, camp itself. It was a complete sacrifice. They weren't getting anything back from it. They were giving their all to God in a burnt offering, in that complete sacrifice. Abraham, who lived long before these laws were commanded, was commanded by God to offer a burnt offering, a complete sacrifice that rattles our sensibilities. Listen to the scripture. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, does that not shake your sensibilities a little bit? A lot of preachers don't like to preach on this passage because God is telling Abraham to kill his child. That's what God's doing. What kind of God is asking Abraham to do that? What kind of God would ask him to kill his own son. I mean, he certainly doesn't seem like the God that we read about in the rest of the Bible, where God is God of love, God of peace, God of joy, God of mercy and grace, a God who is slow to anger, quick to love. It doesn't seem like it's the same God. And yet I would submit to you that it's the same God that we worship today. So let's read on. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, put yourself in Abraham's position. Here's your son saying, we've got everything for the offering, except for the sacrifice. 
Now, if I was Abraham, I would have busted out in tears. Would you not? I would have busted out in tears. But this is what Abraham says. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When he reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar, altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Now let's be clear. God is not calling anybody here to sacrifice their child. As a parent, sometimes I wanted to. Right? You make me so angry. But God is not calling us to do that. Rather, this is a life lesson for us. Let's start with the first verse again, Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. This whole ordeal was a test of Abraham's faith. God was wanting Abraham's faith to be made stronger. That was what this was all about. It was a test. And as a test, God knew how things were going to work out. God foreknew how things were going to work out. He knew that Abraham would meet the test, that he would gather the wood, that he would get the ropes to tie up Isaac, that he would get the knife, that he would take the fire, that he would take all of that stuff, make all of the preparations, and even reach for his knife. God foreknew this, but let's be clear about this. Isaac was never in danger. He was never in danger because God foreknew that he was going to stop him from killing Isaac. That was God's perspective. Abraham's perspective, a little different, right? Abraham didn't know that he was going to be stopped. But still, he had incredible faith in God nonetheless. I mean, he believed two things that were just absolutely critical to this. First of all, he believed that God is the only king. God is the only king. And as king, he has the undisputed right to direct our lives and whatever pleases his good and perfect and pleasing will. God is the one and only king. Abraham understood that, and according to his new lyrics, Kanye West understands it as well. Hmm. Didn't expect that name, did you? 
Kanye West, uh, if you don't know who he is, so, uh, many of you evidently do, um, is a person who is very popular in secular culture, married to Kim Kardashian and all of that, and a musician. Um, he is known for singing about a lot of unchristian-like things, saying a lot of unchristian-like things, and doing a lot of unchristian-like things. Do we not agree with that? Yes? Yes. Okay. Recently, he dropped a new album called Jesus is King, and it's made a splash. There's people who are praising it and people who are criticizing it. So what I decided to do, I, I decided to read every single lyric on that album. I wanted to have a perspective of this. And I'll be honest with you, some of the things that he says, I don't get it. I don't speak hip-hop. Jill and I don't speak hip-hop together in the house. I know that surprises you, um, but we don't. Some of the stuff, I was like, I got no clue what he's saying here. But then there's other places where I'm like, you know what? That's a young Christian, a new Christian, who's sharing his walk with faith. It's, it's not a mature uh, perspective, but it's a young, new Christian learning about the faith of Jesus. And then there are other things that he says that are like, wow, that is deep. That is powerful. Here's this guy who is unchristian-like, who's receiving a lot of criticism because he's released this Jesus is King album. And he understands the criticism. In one of his lyrics, he says, I deserve all the criticism you got. If that's all the love you have, that's all you got. To sing of change, you think I'm joking. To praise his name, you ask what I'm smoking. <laughs> I like that. Hey, band, can we do that? That would be awesome. Yes, I understand your reluctancy, yeah, but I have requests, you see. Don't throw me up. Lay your hands on me. Pray for me. In another song, he says, the devil had my soul. I mean, he just flat out says it. The devil had my soul. But then he says, God is the new commander and the chief. Even if I take this walk alone, I bow down to the king upon the throne. My life is his. I'm no longer my own. Now, I don't know what the future is going to bring for Kanye. I know that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of criticism that he's getting right now. I'm not going to throw him up. I'm going to pray for him. Right? I'm going to pray for him that he's able to continue this walk with Christ and be strong in it. Kanye knows this, and so did Abraham, that God is the king. God is the only king. And as the king, he has the undisputed right to direct our lives in a way that fits his good and perfect and pleasing will. I know that this sounds harsh and demanding, but he demands a complete sacrifice from us, a burnt offering. Abraham knew that Jesus was king, that God was king. But he also knew, secondly, that God works for the good of all those who love him. That calls from, comes from Romans 8, 28. 
It says that we know that in all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Abraham believed that God was going to work for his good, even though he was being called to sacrifice his son Isaac. The Bible speaks of what Abraham believed. We read it in Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. It says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham had this belief that God was going to provide a sacrifice. Not, he wasn't lying to Isaac. He wasn't tricking Isaac so Isaac wouldn't go running off because he found out that he was the sacrifice. No, he was speaking in faith. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide. And even if God didn't provide that sacrifice, even if Abraham did kill his son, the Bible says that Abraham's faith went even deeper than that. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, when, tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now listen to this. This is critical. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham believed that even if he had to sacrifice Isaac, that God had the power to raise the dead, which he does, which he does. Friends, we are standing on holy ground because God is here. And on this holy ground, I want to ask you three critical questions. The first question is this. Does the devil have a hold of your soul, like Kanye sang? Does the devil have a hold of your soul? Because you have not cried out to Jesus to save you from your sin, to save you from hell, to save you for heaven. How do you get to the place of the devil having possession of your soul to God having the possession of your soul? You follow the ABCs of faith. The first is, ask for forgiveness of all of your sins. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to try to earn his forgiveness. All you have to do is go before God with sincerity and with humility and say, God, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me for my, for my sins. And the Bible says that when you do that, God takes that sin and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. He separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. First, ask for forgiveness of all of your sins. And then secondly, believe that Jesus died and arose to life and is alive today. What kind of father would sacrifice his son? God the Father. God the Father allowed his son, Jesus, to leave the throne of heaven and come to this earth to die upon the cross 
as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be escape, so we could escape hell, so that we could enjoy the joys of heaven forever. If you ask for forgiveness of all of your sins and you believe that Jesus died and rose to life and is alive today, then you have accepted, received Jesus as your Savior. But I have a second question to ask you, and that's this. Have you given him the complete sacrifice of your life? Are you holding something back? Saying, I'm going to hold this portion for me and God can have the rest. Listen, friends, Jesus is the Lord. He's not just Savior, He's Lord. He is the King of all. And as the King, I've said this a couple of times before, as the King, He has the undisputed right to direct our lives in whatever way fits his good and perfect and pleasing will. You can't just accept Jesus as Savior. You've got to promise to commit to him as Lord. Commit to following him as the one and only king. As Kanye says, make him your chief and your commander of your life. Then next... You are determined to fiercely follow Jesus no matter what. And it's hard. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy at times to follow Jesus. It wasn't easy for Abraham. It's not going to be easy sometimes to sacrifice things that you really want to hold on to. But sacrifice always leads to a prize. The E is to expect the process to be a lifelong pursuit. Friends, I have pet sins in my life. I do. There are areas that at times I hold back from God. And God says for me to do something, and I'm like, I don't know about that. And then God convicts me. And I sacrifice, and I know that there's a prize that comes with that sacrifice, either in this life or the next. So I'm asking those of you here today who have not made Jesus your Lord to make that commitment, to commit to making him your commander-in-chief, your king for the rest of your life, and make it a lifelong pursuit. And then finally, the last question is for those of you who are Christians who are Christ followers, who have made Jesus your Savior and Lord, do you believe that in all things God works for your good because you love him and are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that? Yes. Then, my friends, when trouble comes, and it's coming, when when things come that cause pain and suffering, it's coming. Go back to that verse, Romans 8, 28, that even 
though I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So follow Jesus with the faith that God is working for your good. In a moment, we're going to pray. And what I'd like to do is for us all to pray aloud together a prayer. But I don't want to just kind of spring it on you in the middle of the prayer so you don't know what you're committing to. I'd like for you to see what I'm going to be asking you to speak aloud. God, I surrender all to you. All to you, I surrender. All to you, I freely give. I will forever love and trust you. And in your presence, I will daily live. Now, if you can pray that prayer with sincerity and honesty and humility, then I ask you to pray it out loud. If you can't, it's okay. Don't. Just, just let it be right now. And I pray that someday you'll be able to pray that prayer. But I'd like for us to pray it all together, everyone who's willing to make that commitment, to make that burnt offering, that complete sacrifice. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to me today. And I thank you that you are a God who always listens to our prayers. So now, Lord, we pray to you this prayer of commitment and pray that you will receive it to your glory. Repeat after me. God, I surrender all to you. All to you, I surrender. All to you, I freely give. I will forever love and trust you. And in your presence, I will daily live. Lord God, thank you for that. Thank you for those who have made that commitment today to make the burnt offering, to make the complete sacrifice, to surrender all to you. And now, church, what I encourage you to do is to spend the next couple of minutes just confessing your sins to God. Tell him what you've done that has been outside of his will. Be honest and sincere and ask him for, for his forgiveness. now tell God the things that you are holding back from him that you have a hard time sacrificing to him tell him and ask him for the wisdom and power to be able to give them over and now tell God that you believe that he works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose tell him Praise be to you, O oh God. We lift up all of these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.